I want to talk tonight about taking our practice out into the world. Taking our practice into the world. What does that mean? How do we do that? Well, when I came to practice, I came to practice, I think, because the world felt pretty hostile to me. It didn't feel like a very good place. And so I fantasized that the Zen world would be different. You know, that uh, it would be peaceful, and it would be enlightened, and it would give me a refuge from all the chaos and the confusion of things, you know, out there. You know, and to some degree that was true. That was true. I, I did find a refuge. Found a refuge in the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha. And over time, I found more and more a refuge of the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha right here in me. You know, not as something I was going to, but something that I discovered was already within me. And it was lovely. It was lovely. And this went on for some time, and my sense of peacefulness grew and grew and grew. Until one day, it was like somebody flipped a switch. And I remember when that switch got flipped, I could no longer sit in peace on my cushion. I, I had this sense that I had to do something. That what had become a peaceful refuge was now a self-indulgence. That I was sitting here on my cushion enjoying this while the world was burning. And so I began to, to ask myself some questions like, well, well, why should I have peace when there's so much suffering out there? Or um, is it even possible for me to have peace when there's so much suffering out there? Is this maybe an illusion that I feel so peaceful, but so much of the world is suffering. So I don't imagine that I'm alone in, in this experience and having this kind of experience. I, I imagine that a lot of us probably came to practice because things were sort of frighteningly chaotic out there and we have a, an idea that we will find peace and that to a large degree we do. But I want to talk about that moment when we flip that switch and when that no longer feels like enough. Like we have to be out there. We have to interbe with everyone else. We can't just do this for us. So I'm not the first one to have this experience. Um, this has been going on uh, for a long time for a lot of people. And there are a lot of Zen stories about this experience. It's a whole genre of Zen stories, actually, about this experience. But I want to I want to bring up one in particular tonight, and it's a koan. And I really like coming back to koans for a lot of reasons. But the reason tonight that I think is important is oftentimes when when we hear a Dharma talk about something, we kind of think, well, I know that, you know, I, I and it feels like something. Um, Maybe trivial, but with when the koans, 
They're intentionally designed to knock us off balance and give us beginner's mind because we don't know what the heck they're talking about. All right. So that's what that's what I want to do tonight. I want to go into one of those experiences like what the heck is this talking about? And then let's see if it, it opens our heart in a, in a way that makes it more available for us. So this is uh, from the koan collection, The Gateless Gate, and it's uh, case number five. So I'm going to I'm going to read you the koan. Master Kyogen said, Zen is like a man hanging in a tree by his teeth over a precipice. His hands grasp no branch, his feet rest on no limb, and under the tree another person asks him, why did Bodhidharma come from the West? If the man in the tree does not answer, he falls to his death. And if he does answer, he falls to his death. What should he do? So let me read that one more time. Master Kyogen said, Zen is like a man hanging in a tree by his teeth over a precipice. His hands grasp no branch, his feet rest on no limb, and under the tree another person asks him, why did Bodhidharma come from the West? If the man in the tree does not answer, he falls to his death. If he does answer, he falls to his death. Now, what shall he do? All right, so does this make any sense at all? Probably not, right? <clears throat> let's see if we can let's see if we can unpack it a little bit. So Master Kyogen, he was a ninth, ninth century Chinese Zen master. So he lived in that same really hard era as Mazu, the, the one I've talked about before, that of uh, famous for his blows and kicks and shouts. This was an era of really hard living, where a third of the Chinese population died in a very short period of time due to famine and war. So it was a tough, tough time. So Master Kyogen tells a tough story. This is unflinching, tough story. So imagine you're in that story. Imagine you are the person hanging from the branch by your teeth. So uh, I don't imagine if we were that person that we'd be able to hang on to that branch for very long. I've never tried to hang from a branch with my teeth, but I can imagine it wouldn't last more than a second, and I'd be, I'd be falling to my death. So that's, that's the first hard part of the story. The second hard part of the story is he says that you're hanging over a precipice. So it's not like you just, oh, I'm going to let go and then stand there okay. No, if, if you lose your grip on that branch, you fall to your death. Hmm. Now, here you are in this dilemma, holding on literally by the skin of your teeth, as we like to say, and along comes another person who asks you this question. Why did Bodhidharma come from the West? Now, if you've been listening to some of these, uh, some of these talks or doing some koan work yourself, you'll recognize that question. It's one of the standard openings back in the, in the Chinese poetic way. And it's, it's the... It's that ninth century way of asking, so what can Zen do for me, Mr. Zen monk? What can Zen do for me? That's what he means when he says, why did Bodhidharma come from the West? 
So here's you. Here's this question. Well, what can Zen do for me? And you're hanging there by your teeth. And if you answer, which as a bodhisattva, you must, because you have vowed to save all beings, you will fall to your death. If you don't answer, you will fall to your death anyway. How long can you hang on to that branch with your teeth? Not very long. Either way, you're going to die. Either way. So this isn't just some ancient story about you know, a fool hanging from a tree. This is actually your story. Your story. You have come to practice and you have sunk your teeth into Zen. And you're hanging on. You come week after week to sitting. You sit on your cushion day after day. You found this refuge from this chaotic world. And it's wonderful. There you've got your teeth deep into Zen. And then suddenly someone comes along and asks you, well, what can you do for me, Zen practitioner? What can you do for me? How can you help me with my suffering? So if you open your mouth, in other words, if you get off your cushion and you leave your comfortable refuge, if you step outside the form of this practice that feels so comfortable, you'll fall from the tree of Zen to your death. And if you keep your mouth closed and you don't do anything to help this person that's seeking a relief from their suffering, well, you're going to die anyway, eventually. So you're going to, you are going to lose everything. You're going to lose this refuge. You're going to lose the practice form. You're going to lose the Sangha. You're going to lose your own life. The real question here is why not use this time to help others? There is no escaping the end, which is we will die. There's no escaping that. So practicing only for ourselves is like hanging from that tree branch by our teeth. That sounds to me like a whole lot of work. Like, if I'm going to do this for myself alone, it's going to be a hard schlog. I'm going to be gritting my teeth something fierce. And doing that only to save myself. And the harder I clamp down on that branch just to do this for me, the farther into the distance the benefit recedes. Because now I'm no longer really practicing I'm just trying to get goodies from this. So that's why we end all our practice uh, sessions with, may the merit of this practice benefit all beings and bring peace. It's a way of unclamping our grip on that branch of Zen. We let go. We let go.
Yeah. So that sounds a little bit abstract, right? That's that's the that that's the Zen way of telling this story. Um, and it's confusing, but it's also really direct. You know, these koans, they're not intentionally confusing. They are skillfully disorienting so that we can suddenly see something new. Suddenly see something new. So what do we actually do? What do we actually do? We open our mouths and we let go of the branch. We really have no other choice. Either way, we're headed down. But the question is, what do we do on the way down? What do we do on the way down? There's other, there's other koans that really point to the same thing. There's another koan about um, a, a person who's at the top of a hundred foot pole and must step off. What do we do on the way down? There's another, there's another great story about, about a, a person being chased by a tiger that has to jump over the edge of a cliff and she grabs onto the vine and hangs there and notices the, the mice nibbling at the vine and what does she do? She reaches out and she sees a strawberry right there and she eats the strawberry. It's the most delicious strawberry ever. So what do we do on the way down? Because we cannot prevent the fall. We cannot prevent the fall. So we take this bodhisattva vow that says, I will help all beings. I will save all beings. This world is such an enormous mass of suffering and I'm just one person. So what does that even mean for me to save all beings when I'm just this simple, limited little person? You know, there's a story, you've probably all heard this story. It, it lives in various forms, but it's about a, a one day thousands of starfish wash up on a beach. And a woman who sees this, sees all these dying starfish out of the water. And so she begins picking them up one at a time and taking them back to the water and putting them back and going and getting another one and taking it. As far as the eye can see, there are starfish on the beach. And someone comes along and says to her, there are so many dying starfish. You can't save them all. And she says, no, but I can save this one. And save this one. So when we take that vow, that bodhisattva vow, what we're saying is each one of us can pick up one of those starfish and take it to the water and go back and take another one and save the one nearest to us. We can't hope to save them all by ourselves, but still we can help and our efforts matter. So this bodhisattva vow we take, it's impossible to do this on our own. We have to do this together. We have to do this together. And there we are. We've let go of the branch with our teeth and we're on the way down in the precipice. 
We do what we can. We do what's right in front of us. Either way, we reach the bottom of the precipice. Either we held on tight or we let go and we helped others beyond ourselves. You know, when we say we do what we can, it means we do just this thing in front of me. Just this thing in front of me. We have to take a real close look at ourselves and we say, well, what skills do I have? How can I use them? We have to open our eyes and see the opportunities in front of us and be willing to step into those opportunities. Even if it feels like what we're doing is futile and we'll never get to the bottom of it, we still step forth and do it. I use these skills. I take this opportunity. I unclench my teeth from that branch and I'm willing to fall and I do what I can all the way down. All the way down. 